Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for the show. We're speaking on the morning of Wednesday, June 7th, 2023. And along with the crazy air quality issues that we're experiencing, it means we are just weeks from the start of New York City's new fiscal year, which begins July 1st, and the deadline for a new city budget for that fiscal year, which is essentially June 30th. So we are in crunch time here for city budget negotiations. And today on the show, we're digging in on the New York City budget. The new budget is expected to come in around somewhere between 107 and $110 billion, yes, billion, and is due, as I said, by the July 1 start of the new fiscal year. There's been some rare talk about a late city budget, but I think that's probably unlikely. And my guest today will fill us in on that and much more. I'm going to be speaking momentarily with New York City Council Finance Chair Justin Brannon, a Brooklyn Democrat who is in his second budget cycle as finance chair, but is a city council veteran. And he's neck deep in negotiations between the council and the administration of Mayor Eric Adams. He also just got back from Washington, D.C., where he was part of a small city council delegation that spent Tuesday, June 6th in the Capitol, pushing for more federal funding for the city's ongoing challenge, providing services for tens of thousands of asylum seekers arriving in the city, as well as other federal priorities that the city council has. More on that in just a moment as well. Council member Brannon also recently chaired a series of hearings on Mayor Eric Adams's $106.7 billion executive budget plan that was released in late April. So they spent a bunch of May looking at the mayor's executive budget plan. That included spending re-estimates for the current fiscal year, a spending plan for next fiscal year, and plans for the following several years thereafter, known as the out years. That is the expense or the operating budget. Then separately from that roughly $107 billion expense plan, there is the $164.8 billion 10-year capital strategy where the city is set to spend around $15 billion per year on infrastructure from new schools to climate resiliency and much more. We often leave the capital budget out of discussions, but we'll get to that a little bit here as well. As happens in this annual process, things have gotten pretty contentious of late between the mayoral administration, particularly Mayor Adams and his budget director, Jacques Jiha, and the council led by Speaker Adrian Adams and in this process, Finance Chair Brannon, my guest today. Budget Director Jiha in particular has taken a contentious and antagonistic stance toward the city council of late, saying some fairly insulting things toward the council, which Chair Brannon did not take kindly, and we'll get into that in a minute. But that, of course, continues to get back to the dollars and cents in the budget. As the mayor crafted his executive budget for next fiscal year, he utilized another round of what's called a program to eliminate the gap or a peg, which requires city agencies to at least offer to the city's budget office and the mayor savings plans to cut unnecessary spending, trim some fat, do at least a little belt tightening as the city refines its spending plans and takes into account a variety of fiscal factors. As Mayor Adams and Budget Director Jiha crafted this budget, 
They insisted on those savings plans from city agencies while also focusing on the mayor's top priorities, the ongoing challenge of services for those tens of thousands of asylum seekers who have arrived in the city over the last year with an estimated cost of more than $4 billion for this fiscal year and next combined. And of course, there's the basics of running city government with a huge chunk of the budget that's not really up for debate most years and goes to baseline obligations, running city schools and other services and largely paying for personnel, of course. But there are a lot of variables in the budget process, including around personnel. And the city currently has well over 20,000 funded but vacant positions across the government. And the questions around Mayor Adams' management of those vacant positions, even after they chopped off a few thousand in the budget process because they weren't going to get filled anyway and they're a chance to create savings basically out of nothing, there are questions around the city government's efforts to retain and recruit talent. They also have to take into account the new state budget passed in early May, about a month late, and the mayor had to present his executive budget without having the state budget passed. So that created a little bit of challenges for the city as well in this process. But that's all pretty much settled now that the state has passed its its budget. Mostly things look pretty good on the local economic seen, but there are questions about whether there will indeed be some recession. There's questions around uh, real estate taxes because of vacant office space and a few other big question mark. Of course, the city has immense needs, and there is, but there is no want for revenue as the city budget for next year will likely be somewhere, as I said, around 107 to $110 billion dollars. That's actually up from $96 billion spent in fiscal year 2020, which was basically all before the pandemic hit. So let's get into a whole bunch of details on the city budget with my guest today. There's a lot of questions around how much the city should spend and save, how much revenue the city actually has to spend. Uh, The city council and its economists have a different forecast than the mayor's uh, budget and economic people. There's questions around a whole bunch of specifics in Mayor Adams's approach to the budget and the council's priorities, things like uh, slashing crossing guard positions, for example, or questions around whether city schools will indeed have budgets cut related to drops in student enrollment and a whole bunch of other things. So Welcome back to the show, City Council member Justin Brannon, a Brooklyn Democrat who chairs the City Council's Finance Committee, just back from a trip to D.C. yesterday, pushing federal partners for some more help for the city, and uh, now a few days rested after uh, several weeks of intense city budget hearings. Council member Justin Brannon, thanks for being here. How are you? Good, man. I'm exhausted just listening to all of <laughs> I have that to was, do that. That was a short version. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So let's uh, let's start with this DC trip since this is the most recent thing. You just get, you just went down and back to DC yesterday. A uh, bunch of meetings with federal officials. You met with some uh, Biden administration officials. You met with the congressional delegation from the city down there. Biggest asks that you were down there making and biggest takeaways from those meetings. How did it go in D.C.? Uh, it was uh, honestly, it was it was a great, productive day. Um, I think the biggest takeaway for me was probably um, that a couple of folks, a couple of the um, 
congressional members and and uh, and leader Schumer um, both remarked that they couldn't remember the last time or if it's ever happened before that a council delegation had made the trip to Washington to, um, you know, put put forward our priorities as a council, um, which is pretty, pretty crazy. Um, so so that that was telling, I thought. Um, and I think, you know, this this our objective for this trip was really to uh, for the speaker and, and her leadership team to, you know, engage our, our federal partners. And you know, these are folks that we work with locally all the time, um, but but sort of on a more you know broader level for for the priorities for the city of New York in this moment. Um, you know, and and that included a, a sort of a comprehensive set of needs that, you know, was not limited to uh, asylum seekers, uh, housing, health care, women's health. We talked a lot about, uh, you know, maternal health, mental health. So it was a pretty it was a pretty robust day uh, of meetings. Um, you know, and I, I think, look, obviously what we're dealing with in this moment uh, in on in June of 2023, obviously, is is the asylum seekers. So that sort of casts a shadow over everything. But I think our trip was really to jumpstart, you know, collaboration with with not just uh, um, members of Congress, but <clears throat> the federal agencies and stakeholders on on issues that frankly require partnership. The issues that we can't uh, get much done on our own without their help. Um, so we were pretty honest about that. Um, Obviously, talked a lot about uh, work authorization, which I think is really uh, the holy grail here for uh, our, our uh, asylum seekers. Uh, you know, getting giving people the chance to get on their own two feet and um, start building that better life that they came here for in the first place. You know, um, so so let's just stick on those two fronts. And I understand there is there is an extensive agenda. And I actually have a document from the city council that is the federal priorities, June 2023 of the New York City Council. It's a very extensive agenda. So there is a lot to it that some of it relates to the asylum seekers. Some of it doesn't really. Some of it's ongoing stuff, housing, NYCHA funding, all sorts of things. Yep. Um, but on those most pressing matters related to to the asylum seekers, on the issue of more federal funding coming to the city and on the issue of uh, expediting work authorization, any signs that either of these things is going to be happening? Is there anything the congressional delegation or the Biden administration officials that you spoke with said that gives people any promise or is there depressing news on either of those fronts? What's what, you know, any upshot on both those two items? I, I think it, it was very positive. I think, um, Everyone acknowledges that um, the first tranche of money from FEMA really missed the mark um, or may not have been intended for the city of New York um, or for, for cities that meet the profile of New York, which there aren't many. But uh, it seems that everyone um, is confident that the second tranche of money coming from FEMA um, is expected to produce a far greater level of funds for New York City than those previous allocations. Um, you know, we need the maximum amount of the uh, remaining $620 million um, that, that was requested by the city and its $650 million funding reimbursement. Um, and that's still just going to be a drop in the bucket. 
Um, but you know, the, the first time around, what we got was was really embarrassing. Um, so you know, I think everyone acknowledges that the city of New York is currently taking on the lion's share of asylees, and therefore we should get the lion's share of asylum seeker funding from FEMA. Um, but again, I think what we've, and, and, and this then speaks to the work authorization and TPS and humanitarian parole and that just having the money is still not enough because we have to get these folks out of shelter and on their feet. We have to get these folks you know, we have to get these folks set up and on their way for the life that they came here for uh, and, and what they escaped. Um, and we can't do that without work authorization. That is really the key to unlock and I think um, really fix uh, what we're dealing with right now. Uh, it can make a serious life-changing difference in, in individuals' ability to become self-sufficient and to start um, contributing to our city and its economy like immigrants have uh, since New York City became New York City. Um, so, but everything we heard from uh, Leader Jeffries and and, and uh, Leader Schumer and, and everybody, um, you know, was supportive of our request for federal action to expedite work authorization for asylum seekers and by granting them humanitarian parole or, uh, you know, the TPS temporary protected status. Um, there, you know, I think there's a bunch of different ways that, that folks think they can get there. Obviously we don't exactly have a willing house right now. Um, you know, and I think anything sadly and, and ghoulishly anything, related to immigration right now, I think, you know, is DOA, um, unless it's, you know, closing the border, whatever that even means, I have no idea. Um, so they have to get creative. It's unfortunate that they have to get so creative to figure this out, but it's definitely a priority. Um, again, I think there's a bunch of different ideas for how to get there, but the, the, you know, making sure New York City gets the lion's share of that next tranche of money, number one, and then work authorization is is a close second mm-hmm. there. Um, because again, yeah. like yeah, I I made I, the, the 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 analogy I made yesterday in one of these meetings was that we can't just keep pouring water in the bathtub and expect that you know expect a different result. Like at some point, you know, every week the city sends us numbers for how many folks are you have either come through the doors or are currently in our care. But the one number that's missing is how many folks have we assisted to get out of shelter and on their feet? That's the number we need to be focusing on, because if we're just going to continue warehousing people, we know how that's going to end. We, we don't have literally or figuratively the capacity for that. So but we can't do any of this without Washington. And that's why we were there yesterday. Mm-hmm. You, as uh, there's a lot that you just said that, that we could keep talking about, including, you know, where do people go if there's no housing? Um, but 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 let's just pause on that for a second. As we talk about the nuts and bolts of this city budget that you are helping to negotiate that is due by the end of this month. There is going to be a question here, unless there's some announcement in the next couple of weeks about that next tranche of federal money, there's going to be a question here. What can you put into the city budget? that you expect from the federal government on this issue. So coming away from these meetings, if you don't get a 
a concrete announcement, what are you comfortable? Is there a number that you're comfortable putting into the city budget, you know, sort of to say we expect, you know, because there's there's state money coming. We know the state put the money in the state budget. There's money coming to New York City from the state on this issue. Can you comfortably put a number in the in the city budget that'll be federal aid for this issue? Or should that not be accounted for in this budget? That's a great question. I mean, um, I think the city's accounting for 600 million um, and they've seemed pretty confident about that. Um, you know, I mean, look, uh, we, we have record reserves right now, um, you know, and, and look, I, I think this speaks to the, the larger issue, which is, um, you know, we've we've been saying that while we are you know, we all agree that that there's some headwinds ahead and that where everyone is anticipating slower economic growth. Um, the latest economic and revenue forecast predicts that growth will still slight, be slightly stronger than our last projections in March. Um, it's it's clear that our economy is durable and maybe more resilient than uh, folks had predicted. Um and while OMB's executive budget projections came closer to uh, the council's, which just validates us once again, um, the council's economists are, are still estimating that there's nearly $2 billion more than OMB says in revenues for FY23 and 24 and stronger revenue projections in the out year. So all of this is to say that we have we have what we need right now uh to make this work um we have to prioritize a budget that protects the the future and the fiscal health of our city but that it also meets the needs of of all new yorkers in this moment and i don't think that these two things are mutually exclusive i don't think that we have to you know uh uh you know i don't think we have to really engage with language that suggests that we have to cut garbage pickup in Queens because of the migrant crisis, right? That's just not, you know, we're talking about a budget that's going to be north of $107 billion. Um, the money is there. Um, and, and with record reserves, um, you know, making sure that we, we invest the money that we have right now in a smart way is what this moment calls for. Because I really do believe that we're at a crossroads here. And I think what we do in this budget um, is is going to matter potentially more than than budgets in the past because um, I think it's going to you know we're st- no one wants to hear about COVID anymore I get it we're still recovering uh, but but what we do in this moment um, you know it really really matters and and we believe that the money is there um, to to take care of both of those 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 issues. So, so put some, you know, put some meat on, on the bone there, or, you know, throw, throw some, uh, throw a few specific examples out there. You know, I said sure. in the introduction, right, there's huge need in the city. You're getting at that too, obviously there's need for services for asylum seekers. There's need to help those individuals. And then the tens of thousands of others who were already in homeless shelters uh, with services, helping them find stable housing, helping children in shelter, uh, you know, get a, get a decent education despite the challenges they're facing in their lives, improving city schools in any number of ways could continue to go down the list, right? Um, immense need in the city, but also, as I said, there, and as you just got it, there's absolutely no want for 
revenue and for funding right now. There are some out-year budget gaps. There are some right. <laughs> seemingly evaporating clouds on the economic horizon, but but you know some slowing down potentially. The recession that people said was happening or coming doesn't seem to have happened and doesn't seem to be coming at least anytime soon. Um, but but there could be could be economic issues. Um, so say a little bit about as the mayor crafted a savings plan, but city you know city spending is still going to be north of one hundred seven billion dollars in this next budget. There's immense needs. You're concerned about some of how the mayoral administration is approaching. It's spending priorities. Give us a few examples, especially as you come out of those city budget hearings that you just chaired another round of. Give us a few examples of things that you're concerned about. You're looking to add resources to. You want to avoid the mayoral cuts to. Sure. Yeah. No. A few things. So, out yeah. There. Yeah. So, right. So, look, I, a couple things. Right. What, what the council is saying that it, we know that the best way to worsen a, a financial crisis is to unnecessarily cut programs and leave New Yorkers in free fall, right? Given that our economists expect, um, you know, moderately, moderately positive outcomes, um, we do not believe that this is a time for extreme budget decisions that would sort of indiscriminately cut services, right? When you give agencies two weeks to perform a 4% PEG program to eliminate the gap, what you're going to get is indiscriminate cuts. You're going to get a scythe where you need a surgeon's blade, right? There absolutely is a need for responsible budgeting because we cannot spend like there's no tomorrow. But the resources exist in this moment to protect, protect uh, as these essential services and programs that, that you've mentioned. Big priority for the city council, I think, first and foremost, is filling these vacancies. The fact that we've got 20,000 open city jobs, um, and these are jobs that are absolutely crucial to New Yorkers in need. And these are jobs that we hear from constituents every day that these agencies are absolutely suffering because of these vacancies. Um, you're talking about folks who are processing food stamp applications at HRA. You're talking about folks that are processing housing vouchers at HPD. You know, paper pusher jobs that are absolutely critical to New Yorkers in need and, and to getting folks out of poverty back on their feet and supporting folks who um, rely on that on that social safety net. So I think first and foremost is that we got we have to fill those vacancies because we had two weeks of hearings where um, just about every commissioner alluded to the fact that they're struggling because of vacancies. And then you have OMB come in and say, uh, you know, th th these aren't the droids you're looking for. And these pegs had minimal impact. Well, I didn't hear minimal impact for two weeks. I heard serious impact. Um, so that's, I think, the top priority for us is, is filling those vacancies. Early childhood education is a huge priority for this council. We are very concerned with the fact that there are so many open 3K seats. I think that speaks to some sort of disconnect um, in the outreach uh, to connect families with those seats. I just cannot imagine that there's 30,000 families in the city of New York who wouldn't love to have a 3K seat for their kid. Um, Q 
keeping up you know keeping upk strong obviously is important uni is super important um you know it's 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 one of those issues of those things you want to bat i assume part of the negotiation the mayor in this latest round of pegs you know it was it was sort of uh funny is not the right word a little bit comical in that darkly comical i should say in that there were all these all the all this criticism of the mayor got got going about cuts to libraries so then when he announced the latest round of savings he's like well we'll do everything except libraries and other cultural institutions and it was like well is this you know where is this necessary and where are you just responding to criticism the libraries of course saying great save us from having to make further cuts but also we were already cut I assume as part of this discussion, uh, there's negotiations around sort of backfilling some of the money that was cut from the libraries, because just for folks catching up on this discussion, obviously so much of this is very complicated. I know for sort of uh, general audience listeners, but um, when the mayor put forward his adjustment late last year to the current fiscal year budget, which goes to the end of this month, the city council was upset with that but decided to take no action on it, not to affirmatively pass it, not to reject it because you say that could have thrown some you know, other funding into jeopardy, but was disappointed that the mayor instituted some cuts that you saw as unnecessary, including to the libraries. So I imagine there's something in here as you as you tick off some of this you know, sure. broader social safety net, uh, free, you know, uh, early childhood education, CUNY community colleges, uh, the libraries, I, I imagine there's some of this discussion that's also about sort of refunding. Yeah. Restora- restoration. That's what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the libraries. <clears throat> the libraries was interesting because um, they've been cut so many times that, you know, um, the third peg when, when they were held harmless was, uh, you know, a moment of, of you know, they, they exhaled, but let's not forget there were two pegs before that. Um, so a lot of these agencies have really been cut to the bone. So we're not, you know, we're not suggesting that, um, we, uh, dump more money into, you know, expand, uh, the vacancies. Like I, there's 20,000 vacancies. I'm not looking for the city to create another 20,000 jobs, but I need them to fill those 20,000 jobs. Um, and I think for the libraries, it's the same thing. It's, it's sort of, how do we get back to at least where we were and then we can go from there. Um, so that's really, you know, the restoration of some of the pegs is, is first and foremost, where our priorities are Interesting. Um, before we get to adding uh, or increasing funding, you know, other we, than the libraries, are there, are, are, are the things you mentioned part of the restoration that you're talking about in this budget process? Are there other things you want to mention for people to know that you're looking at? Sure. I mean, crossing guards, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, parks, right. Funding for our parks, for parks workers, um, you know, uh, and and, and uh, your, your, your contention here is that, so, so it's interesting because when we talk about the vacancies, as you say, there's 20,000 more than it's like 23,000 funded vacancies. So the, the the mayor, as I said in the intro, you know, they they did a little bit of a vacancy re- reduction program. As far as I can tell, most of that doesn't matter at all because you're not even get coming close anytime soon in the next at least two years to filling all these, you know, positions where that would even matter. So it's it's funded positions, but it's filling the funded positions as you're getting at. So this is 
to an extent, not even a budget discussion. It's a management discussion, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's that that's why we're not saying we're not, we're not saying that that we need to create more positions. We're saying we need to double down and focus on hiring for these positions. And what does that mean? It means probably getting a little bit more realistic about where we are with work in June of 2023 and that the Monday to Friday 9 to 5 economy is just it's not it's it's old news. It doesn't work for everybody in the office. Yeah, in the, but that's what I mean. Sorry, yeah, 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 yeah. right. Yeah, now, now, I know that's implied at this point, but that's uh, right. that's the key. That's the key piece. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, we're not we're not pushing the three day weekend bill just yet. We'll do that after the budget. <laughs> but um, but right, acknowledging the fact that there are certain city workers who can't work from home. Right, if you're a sanitation worker, you can't do that job on Zoom. Are there people that would love to work for the city? Um, you know, processing claims, you know, that they could easily do remote. Do I, do I need someone who processes, you know, housing vouchers to be in the office every day? I, I don't see why. And if that is, is one, of, we need to remove those obstacles, right? Like what are the obstacles that are preventing people who want to work for the city, who acknowledge that they can make more money working in private industry, but can get amazing benefits, amazing job security, a real path to the middle class, a real path to, to, uh, promotions and whatnot as, as, you know, with civil service, right. Why are those people not taking, why are there 20,000 open city jobs right now? Let's figure that out. Is it because of remote work? Let's fix it. Is it because we're asking for everyone to have a master's degree when they don't need it. Let's fix that. We need like, this is really the crisis because those are not just numbers on a page. Those are at, you're seeing the past two weeks of hearings that we had, you were hearing how how that translates into reality, how there's a busy signal, literally or figuratively, at these agencies, how it's taking longer to process housing vouchers, longer to process food stamps. We have to hire folks. So the council is, is you know, we're not saying let's add another 20,000 jobs to that role, but but let's really get serious about 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 hiring up. And, um, and so we, the mayor's been very, very slow on that, but there is some movement on it, right? There's uh, some stuff happening with a pilot program with uh, one of the city's largest public sector unions, D- DC 37. There's some pilot programs that are getting launched at two city agencies, social services and buildings. But this is all moving extremely slowly. So is there anything you can do in the council? Because, again, this is not really a budget negotiation to, to, to your point. This is about. Um, you know, what we're discussing, which is we leave out retention sometimes, but retention and recruitment and the hybrid schedules and to an extent, the pay scale. So maybe there is a budget question there on some pay scales of things that could be, right. could be worked out. Um, but what is there leverage the council can exert or how, how do you, how do you do this from your side of the table in these negotiations? Because there, there seems to be a lot of distraction as far as I can tell, correct me if you think I'm wrong about, you know, the mayor's pegs and budget cuts, quote unquote, there's some, uh, according to different analyses, there's some programmatic cuts at stake, but by and large, the savings are from other things. Yeah. Um, right. And, and, and I think it's also, it's also important to, for your listeners to, to know that, that we're not talking like no one's getting fired, right? We're not, we're not cutting, 
we're not cutting jobs. It's that there's there's vacancies that are on the books of the city that the city says, well, if it's a hundred thousand dollar job that we're holding on to, and it's now June, halfway through the fiscal year, and we haven't hired this person yet, well, that's fifty thousand dollars we could save. So I understand that, um, and that's why we're not the same. It, honestly, and it's it's there's an the same thing we're talking about with three K. We don't believe we we are completely baffled as to how there could be 30,000 open 3K seats. We're not saying let's add another 30,000 pre-K 3K seats. We're saying what are we doing to fill those open those open seats? So obviously if there's collective bargaining involved with remote work, we don't have we don't have any power there aside from the bully pulpit. However, I think what we're going to look at for something like 3K which which we probably are going to look at for vacancies as well, is, and look, and I like to say this all the time, you can tell me what you care about, but you prove it to me by what you spend your money on. So show me that there's going to be money invested, funding funds invested in outreach for filling those vacancies. The hiring halls have proven to be um, uh, successful, but it's it's not enough, right? We're not hiring fast enough. And we're also seeing in some senses there there's a there's a wash where you hire five people and then you have attrition. So you're losing attrition, five yeah. people yeah. and now you've got a zero, right? It's a net gain of zero. So I, I think we we show that we care about building back this workforce by investing money in, in getting the word out to, to to have a full court press for Home work for the greatest city in the world, um, but it's got to be competitive, right? The money's got to make sense, or it has to be backed up with the amazing benefits that the city workers get, or that we're offering remote work, like you could get in just about everywhere else. I know uh, there's a, I know there's been a, a, a recent package of bills introduced on this, but is there anything that you think the council should be doing more assertively legislatively on this? I mean, this is hard stuff to legislate, right? This is workforce management. This is what the mayoral administration is, you know, is supposed to do. Um, but, you know, for example, in terms of, again, retention and recruitment, really, there's a lot of non-union jobs across these city agencies, as you know well, where, again, some of the higher paid employees, now people can sometimes question, you know, are there too many of those at, at some city agencies and, and you know, people who are not actually worth what, you know, they're being, they're being paid as, as the, as bloat occurred in some of the higher levels of agencies. That's a, maybe a discussion for another time, but those those people are leaving have been leaving for the private sector for more flexibility and more money no urgency on that and i get the mayor's perspective on i don't really want to give that flexibility to people when i'm not doing anything for my unionized workforce especially the people who can't work from home and that feels off and i'm the blue collar mayor and i get a lot of that but Facts are facts, and you got to sort of have the workforce. I also think there's been the evolution on this has been really like whiplash fast, right? I think that you had the 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 majority of the New York City business community who were pounding their chests for months about everyone back in the office, right? The mayor famously said, "You can't sit home in your pajamas all day." Well, maybe you can if if you're working efficiently and you're you're getting the job done, and you don't have to physically. Your job doesn't require you to to do anything physical, then maybe you can sit in your pajamas all day as long as you're doing your job, right? So nobody has but, to know about the pajamas, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. So 
But the evolution on this, to be fair, has been pretty quick, right? Like there was not too long ago that that people were in denial about um, remote work. And I think now when you're seeing the largest union in the city saying, guys, no, 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 this is what our members are asking for. We're going to lose folks if we don't think about this. And the rest of the country is talking about this. We can't be the last ones hanging on to uh, nine to five back in the office. So, um, but none of this is happening fast enough for the city services that we're talking about, right? For but, but the for, city is not the city is not a startup, a dot com startup. I, I with, hear you with hear five you. guys in a bedroom, right? Yep. This the city is a gigantic, you know, ocean liner that has that turns very slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's going to take some time, but I think you have to kind of. You have to show that you're thinking about it to give people some some hope that, you know, well, these are all the other things that were great about working for the city. And here's something else they're thinking about remote work, you know, bottom line here, because we got to we should talk about a few other things. Bottom line here, though, is from the council perspective is. Ensuring there aren't, you know, major vacancy reductions in the budget, that's obviously that seems to be a done deal, right? These 20,000 plus vacancies are going to be funded. And it's more about negotiations around showing the city and budgeting for the city that you are working to fill these positions, retain these positions, and doing the outreach and the effort to ensure that people have access to city services as best possible as we deal with this vacancy and personnel crisis. Is that a fair way to say it? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's managing all of this. It's putting it's putting the city on solid footing for the future. It's dealing with what's going on in the moment. But you want to keep funding the three K seats that up the outreach, uh, try to make sure the personnel is there, but don't take away the if 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 you fund it, and then a lot of them wind up not getting filled. That's better than not funding them at all. Yeah. Same thing at the community colleges, right? I mean, the community college enrollment dropped significantly during the pandemic here. Mayor Adams wants to trim the funding that the city is giving to the community community colleges. That's what the city mostly funds is the community colleges. The council's saying, don't do that. Let's get the students back enrolled and make sure there's funding for them. I mean, that, that, that's like the essence of a lot of this. Right, because forth, we, right? want, we want those services to be there. Um, we want those services to, like, for instance, we were in Washington yesterday when we met with HUD, the amount of pro, and we, you spoke about this earlier, the amount of programs that are out there that, that we as elected officials may not even be aware of is astounding. Um, so think about the average New Yorker, New Yorker in need, New Yorker living in poverty, that they don't even know what's available to them. So, so that educational piece and that outreach piece is almost 75% of what's important, right? Then when, when we get them there, we need someone to answer the phone. We need someone to, 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 to be there on the other end of that email. So the phone isn't ringing off the hook uh, or it's, you know, five days for someone to respond to an email. So it's, it's all of it. Right. And I think mm-hmm. that if we, if we invest money in a real outreach um, for something like 3k and it's all hands on deck firing on all cylinders 
and then we see that that we're still not filling the, these seats, then we can have a real conversation. But I don't. We can't just throw in the towel and say oh, there's thirty thousand open three K seats. I guess nobody wants them. I mean, that's just insane to me. So in in, in that same vein. The speaker wanted to invest last year in the CUNY Reconnect program, and that's shown some success. And there's questions around, you know, adding funding to the CUNY Reconnect to bring students who at one point enrolled in CUNY but left back into uh, the fold. So, you know, similar type of discussion about investing in (laughs) the outreach to make sure that people are aware of the services or bring them back into the services. But you do get into questions around like, you know, should the city be sending many millions of dollars to uh, schools and nonprofits and other places that aren't actually winding up providing the services, but you're paying them to be there in case you can get people enrolled? Uh, you know, it, it becomes a tricky budget question, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Especially I, if we don't even know if the three-year-olds are out there. I mean, look, I, as far as education, I, I I think there's been an evolution there as well. I don't think that there's anyone that would, and I don't think there's any serious person that would say, well, we've been funding this school for a thousand kids for the past four years, and they've only had 500 kids. Like that just doesn't make any sense. Like that, that just doesn't make sense. So I think but you have to try, right? And I think that's that's the big piece of it. And I think we have it for some of this, for some of these things we're talking about, we can't surrender. And I think there is an element of if you build it, they will, if you restore it, they will come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what we're focusing on. So we're not talking about adding new, but we're talking about restoring some of these cuts um, that, that we think are, would put the city on, on good footing. Few more things before I let you go. There's the question, you know, the city council, as you said, has a sort of stronger economic forecast and revenue projection than the mayoral administration. Uh, Very often, as you've pointed out a number of times, the council's internal forecasts are more accurate and the mayoral administration is known, I think, for some good reason about being more conservative on those forecasts. Uh, you know, going to the lower end of a range that maybe they internally come up with uh, to create their forecast because you want to uh, you want to be conservative on some of that to then wind up with more money in reserves or, you know, to be a little more careful. Um, but all that being said, there's still some significant out year budget gaps that have to be dealt with in the coming years, but are part of this budget discussion this month. At the same time, those budget gaps, according to the Citizens Budget Commission and some other analyses, may be actually understated because of sort of the federal funding fiscal cliffs, as they say, where they're, where the city budget growth that got up to $110 billion relied a lot on federal COVID aid because the city budget has has really grown a lot in these last few years, thanks to federal budget aid and thanks to lots of Uh, immense tax revenue coming in because most high earners just kept on earning throughout the pandemic and even more so and, and inflation actually leads to more tax revenue and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But you've got these out year budget gaps to look at plus maybe even a little bit more so given the fiscal cliffs and the labor expenses that are coming in through new deals. How are you addressing that? How are you thinking about in these negotiations, making sure that the city is on solid fiscal footing for these next several years. Because again, the conversation 
is very focused on criticism of the mayor about what are relatively minor cuts to an immense 110-ish billion dollar budget. Absolutely. Um, this is why my head explodes when people use the word austerity when you're talking about a $107 billion budget. That said, that said, you can have austerity if you're not investing in the right places. Um, doesn't matter how much money you have. If you're not spending it smart or spending it where people are going to really feel it, then sure. Um, okay. Talk about labor. All of that is baked in. Um, so there's, there's not a concern there. Um, the bond, our bond rating is still very strong reserves. We have record reserves, $8 billion in reserves. Um, there is obvious caution. Like I said, there's, there's headwinds there that we're all seeing. No one's in denial about that, but, but we feel that they're manageable. Um, we feel that all of this is, is manageable. And I think for all the doom and gloom fiscal projections by OMB, our economists are just painting a different picture with the same numbers. And I, I think, like I said before, um, you know, our the council economists have have proven to be more accurate many times over the years um, and and then and then anybody else. And that, you know, the, the, it, it, it drives me crazy because people will come out with something and, and everyone will just dismiss it and say we're crazy. And then two, three months later. IBO is saying it, CBC is saying it, and then OMB is saying it. And I think OMB is, whether it's uh, a bargaining play or not, they're underestimating, I think, the durability of our city's economy as measured in tax revenue and wage growth. We, we, we've, we've recovered 99% of the jobs that we lost during COVID. That was not supposed to happen until late next year. That was not supposed to happen until late 2024. Um, so... It's I understand the dissonance in this in this moment. Um, but, you know, I, I think if we embrace these these meaningful investments, certainly in 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 institutions like CUNY or our culturals that both generate positive economic outcomes for our city. Um, that's what we need to be doing right now. We need to be investing in whether we're hiring more tax collectors and revenue generating jobs whether we're investing in CUNY or whether we're investing in our culturals, you know, the, the, the institutions that make New York City, New York City, you know, we're identified that, you know, the, the city and, and, and is showing strength in, in a post-pandemic recovery with people that are continuing to spend um, and, and wage growth remaining positive, even if it's the out years are cooling and there's, you know, there's some, some rough waters up ahead, they're manageable. And that, that whole discussion gets at what's this this stuff that's been going on with um, with budget director Jiha. He has, as I said in the intro, sort of been saying some fairly antagonistic and insulting things about the council, not really understanding the budget. Uh, you felt the need to issue a statement in response. I've been covering city government these last decade. I don't really remember anything like this between a city budget director and the council. Um, and and it strikes me as odd. What what's actually going on here? I mean, is this is this about Mayor Adams and the mayoral administration just really not wanting to be questioned by the council and and held 
accountable in certain ways, just wanting to sort of do their own thing, as you got in your statement saying, you know, this is not a monarchy. Um, what's going on there? And and how do you sort of bridge bridge the gap that's been uh, that's going on between your side of the table and the mayoral administration? So I think, look, I, I don't want to I don't want to pick that scab because I, I do think we're, we're trying to bring the temperature down a bit. But I am always going to defend this body. Um you know, and and our charter mandated responsibilities, uh, which is to hold the administration accountable, which means examining and, and questioning their their numbers and their assertions. Th- that's our job, right? It's not personal. Um, our job is to is to question their math um, as the co-equal branch of city government. So, um, you know, it, I don't think it's the posture that that one should take as they're about to enter into serious negotiations. Um, We are prepared to pass a budget on time. Um, We're prepared to deliver a budget that protects our future and our fiscal health and and all the essential services we've been talking about today. Um, And we would hope that the same is true from the other side of City Hall. You know, I don't wake up um, looking to attack anybody, but we're, I'm going to defend this body and I'm going to defend the the charter mandated job that we have, which is to question the administration, is question and examine the administration. You know, um, I don't know why uh, that is the posture that that uh, the director or or they wanted to take on that day, speaking to CBC, um, but. You know, the toothpaste is out of the tube and you can't put it back in. And I want to get this budget to a good place. I want to pass this budget on time. Um, You know, I want to get to the beach in Coney Island and hang out. (laughs) I don't want to spend all summer working on this budget. Um, And I think we'll get there. I think away from the noise. I think we're we're a lot closer than most people might think. Um, But, you know, this this kind of back and forth is not helpful. Um, But but I I don't think it's it's. We're not the antagonists here. Three last very quick things. One, is the city budget going to be on time as you just got it? Will there be a city budget by the end of June? Yes. Yes. Two, uh, the mayor and the Department of Education, now trying to be known as New York City Public Schools, um, have announced this uh, hold harmless policy. There won't be school budget reductions for the start of next school year, but they reserve the right to reduce school budgets based on enrollment, you know, as the year gets going. Is there this this was the big, you know, issue in last year's budget. You guys announced a budget very early in June, relatively early in June, June 10th or 12th or something like that. And then there was these big issues, uh, as many people listening will recall, around the Department of Education moving forward with school budget cuts. Um, and the council saying, wait, you told us that wouldn't be the case. And lots of lots of conflict arose. Is there anything you're doing in this budget process to say, OK, good, you're, you've promised you're not reducing school budgets to start the next school year. But what about mid-year? Is there any any conversation around that or is that not something you can really do in this budget process? Well, look, I think what teachers and schools and families need first and foremost is stability. So the fact that the teachers are going to know what they're going into in September is a huge win. Um, the the mid-year changes have always been a thing. Maybe people are just realizing it now, but that's always been a thing. Um, 
But I think we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But the fact that the, the administration was proactively, I mean, obviously we had been calling for this. Sure. The fact that they were will, they were proactively willing to do this and knowing that this is really what teachers need and principals need to plan their year and, and for parents to go into the summer without the chaos that we had last year, it's, it's a great step in the right direction. And, you know, look, we trust, but verify, right. In God, we trust everyone else needs to bring the data. So um, this, this time, this time, you, you'll, you, you'll verify this. We time. learned. I mean, look, I'm not, <laughs> look, I am, I'm, I've got no shame to say we learned yeah. from, from last year's experience. And um, uh, I, you know, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. 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 We we, I, I'm keeping you long already. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, and and the city council speaker recently said in an interview with the city, the news publication, the city, uh, something along the lines of there won't be any surprises this time. And we know who we're at the table with now. So uh, that that was an interesting comment. Uh, Lastly, there's always a lot of attention. And this is very much lastly, there's always a lot of attention on the NYPD overtime budget. And they get budgeted a certain amount and they blow through it every year by not just a little. Is there anything being done in these budget agreements related to that? I mean, the mayor has pretty staunchly said, you know what, this is not an issue for me, really. You know, he said as a candidate, he wanted to rein it in. But as mayor, he's basically said, I'm not putting any, you know, caps on public safety, uh, these hundreds of millions of dollars in additional overtime. Now, some of that is very clearly a wage supplement program that the NYPD basically just institutes, right? And I think there needs to be more honest conversation around that. Now with this new contract in place, you know, maybe that that should be reexamined as a sort of something that has in some cases been a wink and a nod wage supplemental program for low wages. But again, that's probably a whole different podcast. Anything you're doing in the budget process around runaway police overtime? Well, one thing and this is something that I actually worked on uh, when I was chief of staff for my predecessor, which is the new, um, the flexible schedule, the 12 hour tour. Mm-hmm. Um, we're hoping that that is, is going to do more um, to curb overtime um, than we might expect. Um, you know, obviously St. Patrick's day happens. This, the St. Tra- Patrick's day parade happens on the same day every year why we're using overtime for events like that. I have no idea. Uh, I do think that the new flexible schedules that they're launching are going to help. Um, You know, uh, so I'm optimistic there and I'm hoping that this new contract agreement may, may ease things and, and, and rein in overtime. But also last year, you remember we passed a raft of term, new terms and conditions and units of appropriation. So now we're actually going to start seeing, uh, you know, being able to see from from FY23 budget uh, what they're actually spending that money on. And, you know, the terms and conditions stuff is super wonky. Units of appropriation, you know, it yeah. is super wonky. But that's going to show us in this, mon- you know, we're trying to sort of chip away at that monolithic police budget to see where that money is actually being spent. And I think um, I think that would be su- that's going to be super helpful for us. So I think it's a little too soon to say, obviously it was a, a big part of our budget budget hearings, but I think there's a lot of things on the table now that were not on the table in FY 23 that, that hoping, you know, it, some, some sunlight there will be helpful. All right. 
We got to a lot here. I appreciate all the time. We didn't even we didn't even get to politics, which, you know, you in, in southern Brooklyn, there's you know, a lot of attention on, uh, you know, what are New York Democrats doing wrong and right and yada, yada. But we, we won't touch that this time. This is city budget focused. But uh, uh, you've had you've had some colorful commentary on that that people can find in writing uh, <laughs> for better or for worse. It's out there. Before I say goodbye, let me remind listeners um you know, you could find all our episodes of Max Politics wherever you get podcasts or the Gotham Gazette website. We've had a whole bunch of other great recent guests and episodes. So check those out uh, after you've listened to this one. And of course, our reporting at GothamGazette.com. City Council Member Justin Brannon, Finance Chair of the Council, thank you for spending time on the city budget with us. And we'll check in as this uh, deadline approaches. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Talk Thanks to you a soon. lot. 